Let us pray. Our most gracious Father, draw near and enlighten our ears, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, that your word would come to dwell deep within, that your word would come to work on us and guide us and lead us. And as your word is heard, so is your spirit given. And so drive your word and your spirit deep into us. Now we would be more and more changed to reflect the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. I was sitting in a coffee and sandwich shop meeting with a pastor of a newish church in the town where I went to college. Rachel and I had met him when we visited with his church. We were in between churches at that time. The church we had been part of had undergone a not very comfortable closing, you might say. It's very discouraging. We were both broken down and beaten down and exhausted from that experience, and we were looking to just simply settle somewhere for a while. And this pastor, he asked me about what I felt called to do. We had been talking for a while, and he knew that I had a desire to enter into ministry, to to in some way be a pastor, to work in the church. We had talked that much about it, and he asked me why I'd never done that before. And my answer was basically that I'm not ready. I need to find the right place to settle. I need to find the right denomination, the right group of churches to be a part of. I need more training. I need more time to prepare because I knew I wasn't ready. But he said, well, why not just go start your own church? Why not just go out there, throw yourself out there and start doing the work of the Lord? You know you're called to it. I see that you're called to it. You've even told me that other pastors have confirmed this calling and offered you opportunities to teach and preach and be part of their congregations at times. So why not just go and start something new? You don't need oversight. You don't need to have the right church. You can just start your own church. But the reality was, he was wrong in that statement. I wasn't ready. I knew in myself that I needed more training. Yes, I had a decent amount of training. I had a good bit of training just in my own understanding of scriptures, my own understanding of church, of theology, of doctrine, of all those good things. But I wasn't ready. I needed proper training. I needed shaping and molding before I went out there. And even more importantly, I needed authority over me. I couldn't be some lone ranger Christian out there doing my own thing. I couldn't be in a church that was disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ existing on its own. Rachel and I had seen what that leads to in our former congregation that we were part of. Where the disunity and the lack of fellowship with outside churches and the need for someone looking in to help us in our time of need was missing And the church ripped itself apart. And Rachel and I were worn down. We were bedraggled. We were exhausted. We were broken to the core. And here this pastor was asking me, well, why don't you just go start your own thing? You're ready to do that, I think. I don't think he was trying to ignore our need, but he was trying to give encouragement that he saw in me a calling. He saw in me that the Lord was calling me, that 
I was being sent out to serve the Lord at some point, and He was trying to kind of just push me forward, but it wasn't the right time. I wasn't in a place to do that yet. But it was a reminder to me that God is going to call us to do things that are impossible in order to drive us to remember to trust Jesus in everything. In a sense, this In a sense, God was speaking through this man, reminding me that I was called into ministry no matter how terrible I felt at that moment, but I needed the work of the Lord to continue in me because it was an impossible task, and even today it is an impossible task. Even with all my training, with all my preparation, it is an impossible task to serve without the work of the Lord Jesus in me, without me continually remembering to draw back and trust in Him. And in many ways, the Lord works and sets up those situations to cause you and me to hear that calling and to recognize, I can't do that. That is impossible for me. I need the Lord to do it. I need the Lord to act. And then to work through me to accomplish that task. And we see that, I think, in our Gospel reading this day from John chapter 6. We see Jesus and His disciples and a group of 5,000 men. Matthew, who also recounts this story along with Mark and Luke, all four Gospels have this feeding of the 5,000. Matthew reminds us that it was 5,000 men besides the women and children. That was just how they counted things back then. They counted the number of men, but not necessarily the number of women and children. Because it was assumed that if there was one man there, then probably for every man there was probably a woman there and then some children with them. So it's not unfathomable to believe that there were over 10,000 people following Jesus to this desolate place. And here Jesus is doing what I'm calling a Passover setup. He's setting these people up. He's setting His disciples up to see Him act for their good. John makes it a point to say now the Passover was at hand. It was early spring. The Passover was nearing when this account happens. As the disciples had been doing ministry alongside Jesus and they had been doing much ministry, they had left one side of the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee and traveled to the other side to a desolate place to find rest. They weren't very close to any cities or towns here. Here they were out in the middle of nowhere hoping to just rest and pray. Mark tells us that they had been followed by the crowd so much that the disciples had not had time to even eat for themselves. And so here they are, trying to get away from the crowds, but the crowds saw them leave. And so the crowds started running and moving, and they rounded the Sea of Galilee and came to the very place where they had gotten to. And it says here that Jesus lifts up His eyes And he sees that a large crowd was coming toward him. And so John truncates the situation here. He just suddenly has Jesus look to Philip and say, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John assumes we know about the other gospel readings because he doesn't give us all the gory details here. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it tells us that Jesus looks on the people and he has compassion and he begins healing again. He begins teaching. He begins showing the people the way to the Lord. And He pours Himself out and thus calls the disciples who are bedraggled, who are exhausted, who have been worn down to the nub to keep working, 
to keep doing what the Lord had called them to do in that moment, even though they were in as rough a shape as this crowd who had followed them around the sea. But Jesus is setting up something for them here at this time of almost the Passover. He teaches and teaches until the late evening and the people there have not had food. They're exhausted and then everyone's wondering, Jesus says, where are we to get bread now? What are we to do to take care of these people? And so he asks Philip this and Philip looks at him and says, 200 denarii wouldn't buy enough food for everyone to have even just a little bit. Even just a little morsel, 200 denarii would not be enough. That's two-thirds of a year's wages. Putting that in our own economic terms, that'd be thirty-five dollars or $40,000 would not be enough money to buy these people even a little bit of food, these nearly 10,000 people. Think about the amount of preparation that's needed to feed that kind of number. Even the U.S. Army doesn't just act on a whim to feed people. They have... Massive amounts of provisions that travel around with them in order that they can take care of their military, take care of the army, take care of all the people who are traveling with them. And so 10,000 people is no joke to feed. But here, everyone's overworked and exhausted now. And Jesus says, well, how are we going to feed them? What are you going to do to take care of them? Philip says, we can't do it. We don't have enough money. We don't have money to do it with. There's nowhere to get food. And then Andrew speaks up. Oh, well, there's a boy here. He's got some five barley loaves and a couple of fish. But what are they for so many, in fact? In fact, those five barley loaves and two fish wouldn't have even fed the disciples. It wasn't enough food. There just wasn't enough. But Jesus has set this all up, you might say. Because he knows exactly what he's going to do. He looks at his disciples and sees that they are exhausted. He looks at the people and sees that they are exhausted. And he asks them to do the impossible. He asks the disciples to feed them. And the disciples are at their wits end now. Well, we've got a boy here, one says desperately. He's got some bread and fish, but it surely is not enough. And so Jesus prepares to do something that you wouldn't expect had we never heard this story before. Jesus moves in this Passover setup to a mundane miracle. He moves into a mundane miracle because He's Jesus. He doesn't just suddenly make their bellies be full of food. He is the Creator God. He could do that, couldn't He? Being the all-powerful God, He could just make them have full bellies and not be hungry. He could give them, out of the abundance of who He is, the strength and the energy to go out and return back to their own hometowns. And then they could take care of themselves and get the food that they need. But no, Jesus does something different. At least different to our thinking. He performs a mundane miracle. He takes ordinary bread and ordinary fish and feeds the people with it. He gives them enough food from these five barley loaves and two fish to feed all 10,000 of them and to have leftovers. One of the things I was thinking about and listening about and reading about was one commentator pointed out about how it doesn't say Jesus multiplied the bread to where suddenly the disciples had armloads of bread carrying it around, but simply that he blessed it and gave it to them to distribute. And so here are these disciples walking around with Halfed up barley loaves, 
so that they could probably all have a little bit and the fish cut up and they're just offering people bits of the food and going around and feeding everyone and giving them chunks of the bread, but the bread never runs out. The fish never runs out. But it all comes from the five barley loaves. It's not like Jesus blessed it and suddenly there were 10,000 barley loaves sitting there for them to distribute. It was just simply from the few barley loaves and the few fish that Jesus feeds them. He extends and expands and makes this bread last and last so that at the end of all of it, this mundane miracle produces fragments of bread that fill 12 baskets with bread. Imagine that. The disciples took these five barley loaves and distributed it to all the people. And then the leftovers that the people had in their hands was enough to fill 12 more baskets. It expanded and extended and produced more than enough. An overabundance in this mundane miracle by Jesus. It reminds me of the story of Elisha with the widow who is at her death's door. She only has enough oil and a little bit of flour to make one more loaf of bread, one more little bread cake for her and her son to have in the midst of a drought. And then they're ready to die. But Elisha shows up and says, Give me some food. And she says, I don't have even enough for me and my son, and you ask me to do that. And he says, I'm a prophet of the Lord, do it. And so she does. And she discovers that the oil and the flour never run out. And she eats off of that with her son until the drought ends. The oil never runs out. He doesn't multiply and give her bottles and bottles and bottles of oil. But instead, that little bit of oil just keeps lasting. It's the same with the bread. It just keeps lasting and lasting and lasting. It's a beautiful thing to see Jesus act. To take these loaves and expand them and distribute them through His disciples. His disciples do an impossible thing here. They take what is given and distribute it to over 10,000 people. And what was given was barely enough to feed them. But it's able to feed everyone because Jesus acts. Jesus takes the little that they had and makes it be an overabundance to serve others. He sends them out to serve everyone after everyone sits down. They go out to serve and to feed others. Jesus sends them to feed with only the little bit that they have, but it is more than enough to create an overabundance because Jesus works through them to create that overabundance. Jesus causes the impossible to happen because they trust Him. They go out and do what He's told them to do and He makes it work. In a way, Jesus, I think, subverts Satan's first temptation toward Himself. Remember, Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was in the wilderness all alone and hungry. And Satan comes, why don't you turn these stones into bread because you're the Son of God, aren't you? But Jesus doesn't do it because that would be serving Himself. He is here to live off of the Word of God. Yes, He still needs food, but in that moment He resists that temptation to care for Himself because it is not that time for Him to care for Himself. He is here to serve. And so, here He sees the people hungry and He makes bread from a tiny bit of bread. He feeds the people because He is there to serve them. He has come to seek and serve the lost. He has come to take care of these lost sheep, these sheep who have no true shepherd. He acts as their shepherd and cares for them and provides for them in this mundane miracle. 
Because He wants them to see that He acts through ordinary things. The Messiah is not going to come and just overturn everything and destroy everything. He's going to come and renew everything. The mundane, everyday moments of our lives are renewed and made perfect by Jesus acting in us. By His calling us to do the impossible and our remembering who He is, we come to see Him act and work and to do in us what is impossible for us to do on our own because He is the true God from true God. He creates in us all that we need even though we have virtually nothing to give. He comes and works and makes us new that we can go out and serve. And how do the people react when they see this miracle, when they see everything that Jesus has done? They see this Passover setup that leads to the mundane miracle, and what do they do? They all inwardly cry out, All hell the bread king. All hell the bread king, they see. And they say inside because they recognize he is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. He is the prophet that Moses told us about near the end of his ministry when he said one like him would come up and would lead the people and shepherd them. Here is the true prophet indeed. And being the true prophet indeed, since they had not had a true prophet like him in so long, they want to make him king. They want a king who will provide and give them everything. They want a king who will cause the barley loaves to continually expand and for there to always be enough food and for them to never have to do anything to find bread. Because after all, Jesus made them sit down and they were given the bread. They didn't have to come up to Jesus. They didn't have to be like the Israelites in the wilderness and go gather up the manna. They just simply sat and Jesus gave. And Jesus poured into them the bread that they needed in that moment. And so now they cry out, All hell the bread king. But Jesus withdraws. He escapes to a mountain by himself. Because it is not his time. It's still a year away from the Passover where he will be crucified. It's not time for him to be declared Messiah before all of the people. It's time for him to withdraw and to hide away and to continue ministering here and there and moving ever so closely toward Jerusalem and toward that final trip into Jerusalem. But there is a grain of truth in what they're saying and their desire for him to be the king because he can give them bread. We should cry out, all hell the bread king. But it's not the kind of bread we're thinking about. These people were thinking about just regular, ordinary bread that could fill their ordinary physical tummies up. But Jesus being the true bread king, being the true king of Israel who will bring and fulfill the manna in the desert, who will fulfill the Passover feast, who will fulfill all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, gives us a different kind of bread. He gives us true bread. He gives us Himself who has come down from heaven to sacrifice Himself. He feeds us with Himself because He is the true King. And He is the bread King. And that's why He is calling us to recognize today that He calls us to do great things. He calls us to do the impossible. He calls us to go and serve and to act and to do what He wants us to do. But we have to also be like those people who sit down and receive from Him His gifts. We can't just run out on our own and do anything. We have to have Jesus with us. We have to draw near and praise Him. We have to draw near and see Him for who He is. That He is our true King. 
He is the true bread come down from heaven that usurps the manna, that usurps the unleavened bread of the Passover, that usurps all the physical bread that we would eat to fill our bellies. And Him being the true bread fills our souls. He fills our souls that our physical bodies might be filled with new life, that we might be able to participate more and more fully in eternal life, that we would know Him deeper and deeper because He gives us Himself. And the ultimate place where we discover this is, of course, in the Eucharist. There, it is His body and it is His blood that is given to us through that bread and that wine. He feeds us with Himself in a way physically and spiritually. It is but a bit of bread and a bit of wine, but nonetheless it is blessed and set apart and made to be His body and blood by His Word and by His power and by the Spirit being there in His Word. And so we partake of Him mysteriously through that bread and wine that goes into us physically and yet spiritually at the same time as we with eyes of faith look and know Jesus and trust Him and turn from our sins to receive from Him His goodness, to remember to trust Him and to receive new life. Not only spiritually, but physically. For as our spirit is renewed more and more, so will also our bodies. For it is all a preparation for the resurrection from the dead, where we will be completely made new. And in our feeding on Jesus, we are prepared and strengthened to do the impossible task He calls us to do each and every day. And I haven't defined the impossible task yet. The impossible task isn't going out and being some great missionary. It's not going out and doing great and glorious deeds for all the people around you or raising a million dollars for some big ministry. The impossible things are the everyday things that we do. The impossible part of it is for us to do it for the glory of God, for us to do it in faith, for us to do it in order to bring praise and honor and glory to God. And that is where it comes for us to remember Jesus, for He calls us to mundane things and performs mundane miracles in each and every one of us as He renews our faith, that we can act in faith, that in our callings and our vocations, we can do what He has called us to do in His strength, in His power, in His abilities. That we do get up off of that grass after He has fed us and we go out because He has fed us with Himself and renewed us to send us out to love and to serve Him in everything that we do. The impossible task is our daily lives to live them in light of Jesus and to remember Him each and every moment, to trust Him and to know that He is working. And so may we, as we hail this bread king, know that the true bread that He gives us is Himself, that it's not Him giving us plenty of physical bread that we can be fat and lazy, but He gives us Himself that we would be strengthened to go out and serve, to go out and do what He has called us to do, to continue to do impossible things day in and day out in our everyday lives. The impossible is the mundane task before us of loving and serving those that the Lord places before us. So let us praise this King Let us love this King. Let us draw near to this King and find the strength to do all that He calls you to do. All that He calls me to do. Because each moment is an impossible task when we are called to faith. But in faith it becomes possible because Jesus 
works in us and feeds us with Himself every moment. So may we know Jesus in the work that we do, for He is the true King who guides us and strengthens us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.